nearly everyone has had a job that just simply sucked. In this podcast, we dive into the terrible workplaces that exist, either due to customer interactions, horrible bosses, bad culture, or environment. Tune in each episode to hear interviews and news stories of why work sucks. Hello, this is Brian Lamar, and this is another episode of Work Sucks. I'm your host, and I'm here to bring you stories uh, and news items from the workplace to talk about all the things that can make the work life suck. Today, we have a special guest, Meg Britt. She's here to talk to us about a job that uh, that really sucked for her. Hey, Meg, welcome to the show. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about this. Can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, go into uh, the job that that sucked for you? Sure. Um, I am from Mississippi, and my entire adult life has been spent working for SuperTalk in advertising, working as a Farm Bureau agent, and fighting for my rights in our federal court system. Um, I looked up and encountered a situation that I have actually been raised my whole life to believe doesn't exist because I grew up on the, like the conservative T of everybody's whining. And so I was totally not prepared to run into the realities of the male dominated workplace. And it's not really just, it's foreign bureau. It's what foreign bureau does. And I, I ended up leaving my job and being recruited to go become a foreign bureau agent in Columbus, Mississippi. And I ran into a crazy boss. I mean, just crazy boss. And it's been a nightmare ever since. So we've all had crazy bosses in our, in our, in our careers. I mean, almost everybody has, has run across either a crazy coworker or a crazy boss. Explain to us when you say crazy boss, what do you mean? When I say crazy boss, I'm, I'm a, an advice seeker. I seek advice from lots of different people who I respect. And in the beginning, uh, Bubba Cole was wonderful during recruitment, during uh, getting me signed up, all the way down to signing my contract. It was like a hype man. And then the second I signed my contract, he ghosted me. And that was probably my first red flag. But I was so excited about learning the new industry and getting into the company that I kind of overlooked it. I kept telling the people that I would seek advice from over the next years. I kept saying, he's not like other people. Bubba Cole is not like other people. And it was so hard for me. I actually wasn't able to talk about it to describe what I had been through and what he was doing because it was subtle at times. It was like I was under a daily onslaught of threat and pressure and it was like he developed reins where he could control my head a little bit and he well the first thing he did was isolate me and he would say these I tell people that I I woke up in the 1960s and he would say things to me like let the boys handle it was a favorite of his um he called me a girl at uh, several times and not in a nice way, in a very condescending way. He wanted to make sure that I knew my yeah. place on the team. 
Yeah, um, yeah, got it. He wouldn't let me ride with everyone else in the office. He and I just ignored this. I've always been so independent and self-reliant. And I've always been just hopping through the world like this big bubble of sunshine that I just kind of overlooked it. Go so ahead. at the, at this point, though, I mean, you're, you're you, but you do realize the these red flags, but you're you're saying, OK, I you know, this is my job. This is my workplace. I'm, I'm dealing with this. You know, you, you had your reasons. So what, what were those reasons why you let those little things slide? Because I love my job. Um, I was really comfortable with the work. And I was really excited to learn the new industry. And I am an extremely goal-oriented person. So I had set my own goals. And I was focusing on doing my goals daily and learning the industry and building the brand and all the things that you do. And I was really enjoying my time. And it was very exciting for me. And at the same time, I realized that I'm being done treated unfairly. But um, I felt like that was going to be a kind of, I just kind of pushed it to the side and learned to work around it. But I will tell you this. I did not know how to pray until I went to work at Lowndes County Farm Bureau. I've been in church my, you know, my whole life and I never learned how to pray until I walked into that office. Oh boy. That, you know, when, when you start praying, uh, because of your your workplace, <laughs> then you know you've got a you've got a bad situation. So just uh, up until this point, we, we we know where you worked. Uh, can you explain to the listeners uh, what what your your daily duties were? Sure. The essentials of an insurance agent at Farm Bureau are, of course, to come in and meet your book of business that already exists within the company and take care of your clients and to write and issue new insurance policies. Um, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the taking care of people, making sure that everything they had was covered, making sure that we had all their needs covered, that they knew who I was, that they could reach out to me. And I really felt like I was serving my community in that way. So I just, I just loved it. So, so with, within those, um, I guess daily duties with, within your daily duties, what would you say? were uh, the areas of friction that you found with your, with your boss? Um, well, it was very subtle at times and he would more or less ignore me and isolate me. And so I was just going through the motions. He tried to make me afraid in some way, but I, um, I just pressed on because I could tell that I was going to be really good in this business and that I was going to love it. So I had been assured and Bubba and the agents around me had been discussing the fact that he was going to be taking a promotion and moving out of the County. So in the back of my mind, while I'm gone six months being trained by the company and I'm learning and I'm building and I'm investing my time into this new career um, uh, the whole time it was like, if I can just hang on, he'll be gone. Light at the uh, end of the tunnel. Yeah. Right. There was a light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't know it was a freight train, but there was a light. And, you know, I hear so much, especially in the feminist movement 
and the movement towards equality, especially in pay. By the way, I was hired for ten to twenty thousand dollars less than the other men in my group, and I'm the only one who took a pay cut to take the job, and it was a substantial pay cut. So there was a lot of that going on, and. I didn't know, but the people in my group at Foreign Bureau started to have kind of an abrasive staying away from me. Um, And it was because Bubba, my manager, was running a smudge campaign behind my back. And big part of the reason is that the other agents who had worked for him previously and currently would overlook his illegal behaviors in the office. He'll come in. And so he's this super life insurance annuity salesman, you know, he's super salesman and he's great at it, but he will lie blatantly to his clients, knowingly to his clients and the company rewards him for it. Well, um, so at this point you're, you're, you're now noticed full on that there's a smudge campaign against you, um, that, that, that there's a ostracizing of you, isolation of you. Where, where do you get to, where, where can you turn at this point? Um, at this point, towards the middle, well, I think that I went to my district manager because, see, for, the way that Farm Bureau is set up for their agents, there is no reporting mechanism at all. There's nowhere to go. And so my first threat in the office was actually my second day in the office. He hadn't spoken to me. I'd already gone to the life insurance company school in Jackson. He had not said a word to me. And I come in first, second day of the office. And he says, hey, come in, come in, come in and shut the door. Come in and shut the door would become a famous thing. So I shut the door and sit down. He said, I want to tell you why you're here. And he looks at me and he goes into one of his big larger than life sales pitches. My manager calls me into his office and tells me to shut the door. And I thought, finally, like he's, I was wondering what I had done to make him angry. I was trying so hard to go out of my way. And he calls me in the office and he says, let me tell you why you're here. And so I sit down and he goes into one of his big overzealous sales pitches. And he's got a huge rat like wall full of awards in his office. It's actually why I chose him as my manager is because he had to hit goals to get those. And I wanted to be trained by somebody who knew what they were doing. He says, Meg, you're here to put plaques on my wall. He told me that they were closer to winning agency of the year than they've been in a long time. And that he had hired me to put them over the edge into the winning bracket in that they were so far ahead that they really didn't need that much from me. And at some point, I actually live in West Point. He told me that at some point I might have an opportunity to go back to the other office in West Point, which would have been an extreme step down because Columbus is a big city in a huge county and West Point is small. Um, he sat me down and told me that he had just re- that I'd been recruited out of my job so that he could play a game with my life. And then he, this is the crazy part. This is this is when you know you're dealing with crazy. He slides open his top right hand drawer and he's got these pictures 
and he pulls out his handful of pictures and he lays it down and he starts showing me their pictures of him with different executives on like trips and private gatherings. And basically he's saying, I am so important. These are all my friends and you have nowhere to go. And then he's smiling at the end, super happy, wonderful. And I thought, I went back to my office after like it was all said and done. Of course, he's selling this, you know, big happy salesperson. And I'm like, wow, that was strange. And so I, I sit down and I'm like, well, I'll just have to make myself so valuable to him that he will never want me to leave this office ever. Because that's what you do in sales. You don't worry about where you start. It's where you're going. That's what I loved about sales is that you can work yourself into your own promotion. Hard workers really hard workers with extremely thick skin do really well in sales. And I loved it for that. So I thought I'll just make myself so valuable to him. But I thought on that second day in the office that I needed to leave, that I needed to quit right there. Second day. And I have to say, if I could go back and redo anything in this, and I don't believe in going back because it's who I am and how I got here, I would have left that office. And that would be my advice to anyone listening. Um, I should have walked out that day and never talked to him again. But I didn't, naturally, because I convinced myself that I could work so hard that I would be invaluable to him, and it sells. So you can always take care of yourself and sells. And boy, was I wrong. So at, at this point, I mean, you, you, you made the decision to stay because uh, you're thinking, all right, I can just I can just muscle through this. Um, but um, at, at some point after that second day and you're, you're starting to muscle through it, at some point you must have figured out, boy, I've probably made a mistake. And then how long how long did it go until you had decided um, yeah, I, I got to get out of here. And, and, and what transpired in that, in that time? Well, Brian, winners never quit and quitters never win. And I didn't quit. And that is, I went through a great deal more. Um, and I actually haven't quit since I started this thing. I, um, he evolved into doing under, like he was, he found, he was finding ways to make me do his work and other people's work without realizing I was doing it. And he was making me pay astronomical amounts of money into advertising and then giving everything that came in the door to the male agents uh, just for fun, you know, just fun stuff. But in 2001 year, probably 2016, probably earlier in the year, he, um, I had posted something racy on my personal Facebook page and it wasn't bad. And it got a huge response. Everybody laughed. It was funny. It was tongue in cheek. It wasn't bad. And apparently my district manager called about it. And I, I'm in my door office. I'm working on a policy and the door is shut. And I look up and he's running in the door and he runs in the door and he said, take that shit down, take that fucking shit down, bitch. And he takes his cell phone while he's running at my face and he pops my head back with his cell phone, like hard enough to like make my face red. 
And then he says, you're going to get yourself fired. Take that fucking shit down. He said a couple other things I'm not going to mention that are actually uh, but you But you can't get a... You, and according to him, you can't get fired for assault? That sounds like assault to me. Right. No, he can't get... He can't get a fired for assault. And then he slams my door off the hinges. Like, tears my door up. And so this is a Friday afternoon. No one in the office came to check on me. I just sat there. I sat there, Brian, for two hours and didn't move a muscle. I just sat there and thought. And I ran through every option I had. Call the police. Report him. Call my district manager. This and that. But see, he's already told me. And he's told that his district manager is going to take a lot more than the district manager to fire him. And I don't know why he's saying these things to me because I'm not attacking him. And I decided that if I ran and said this, he's going to tell everyone, his friends, that I am whining, exaggerating, lying, and they are going to take his side and they're going to throw me out the door. So I um, mustered myself. I got myself together over the weekend and I went in Monday morning really early and I was waiting for him at the door when he got there and I had his coffee ready and I just looked at him and I was like, well, you completely lost your shit on Friday. We'll start over. And he stood there and he took his coffee from me. And I think in that moment I went from like some kind of, you know, I can beat this girl off this desk now that she's won me these awards. She was supposed to win me. Um, and he realized that that, that wasn't going to work. And I became a real target at this point. You know, he was like, oh, well, that didn't work. So at this point, everything kind of ramped up. The smudge campaign ramped up. The picking on me, the talking to me, the he started to pit the secretaries at me. And just to bother me. And so I'm still skipping about happy. And I had excused it in my mind. I was like, he didn't look like he was really sober when he did that. You know, that's just totally unheard of in the professional world. So I, kept, I just kept going. I confronted him. We talked about it. I turned it into a laughing stock in the office. And I actually were, had recorded the, one of the secretaries joking with me about it and backing me up on it. Of course, nobody will do that now. But... As things progressed, the, the breaking point was actually not with me. There was um, a sweet, willowy, hardworking secretary who's about half his age. And she asked me to go to lunch with her. And I did. The only time I ever went. And she told me that she needed me to help her find another job. She told me lots of things that were going on in the office that I couldn't see because I have tunnel vision. I have tunnel vision over what I'm doing every day because I'm working and I'm happy while I'm doing it. And that was the straw that sent me to the district manager. And so I met with my district manager. I told him everything I could think of, everything. And um, he once again assured me that he was leaving the office. Just hold on. You know, I'm going to get him out of the office. He's got it. He's going to take another county. Basically, I'm sorry your manager's torturing you, but I promise I'm going to give him a promotion. Promise. You know? So you can I've be tortured. I've heard this story. One. I've heard this story so many times. Uh, oh, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to move that person. And, and 
and it either takes forever or it never happens. I believed him completely and totally. I really did. And everybody around me believed it too, that this was going to happen, but it never happens. Just like you said, um, this was probably the beginning of the end. And so we get down into 2017 new year. Um, we had gone, there was a massive upheaval at farm bureau. They forced us to sign new contracts. There were people retiring and moving lots going on in the state offices so there was a lot going on transitionally inside the company. And it turned out to be, I guess, this perfect cover for him. So, and also at this time, he is finally getting to me. Uh, he has um, slowly breaking me down emotionally from this big, happy ball of sunshine running around doing my job to um, he's made me scared of him. Uh, several times in very calm ways. Like, he looks normal. To other people, they think, oh, there's something weird about him. You know, I can't put my finger on it. Um, but he had broken me down at this point. So I had taken a stand with him one morning that something was wrong with my phone. I was going. We had a little... You know, you're not going to tell me when to be in the office and sit here every day of my life and micromanage me because this is a new year and we're going to do this differently. You know, everything's going to be fine. Really, he set the whole thing up. My whole termination was completely planned out and set up. I did wouldn't know that for probably three years. But now that I've sat through a full round of discovery and I've sat through days and days and days and days of depositions, I know what happened now. But. Um, I came in from lunch and he was very aggressive and come in here into my office and big motions, just crazy and sit down. Okay. I sit down and he says, get up and shut the door. And I said, Are you? now let's think about that. He is screaming at me in the office, our professional office to sit down. And now that I've sat down, he tells me to get back up and shut the door. No, 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 no. Bubba, we don't have closed door conversations. That's not what we do. We don't do that anymore. And I get up and I'm like, no, you know, you're. Mm -mm. And he is pounding the desk and like he's pounding the desk and he's standing on it like on his knuckles, almost like a bulldog. And he's yelling at me about stirring stuff with the secretaries and I can't remember everything he says I'm not going to go into all these details because it really upsets me and I am backing out the door slowly nope nope we're not doing this not today and he said you're gonna sit down and you're gonna tell me what is wrong with you and I just finally stood up to him and I said no uh, I want my district manager to sit in on this and I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't have any respect for you. And I want my district manager that time. Listen, Brian, the guy jumps the side of his desk and charges me in his office and, and puts his hands out and he, I've got my hands out like defensively 
his chest runs into me, he puts his arms and pushes me back. And I'm just stunned at this point. You know, I've never had anyone, anyone lay their hands on me in my life. And now this is the second time in my professional office. But he's the king of the world, right? And no one's going to believe me. So I step back and he's running around his desk like a crazy person. And he was like ripping the phone off the wall. And, and I was like, call whoever you want. You can call whoever you want. I'm not having this conversation with you. We're not doing this. And he turns around and looks at me and he starts running at me again. And Brian, that moment, the front door dings. And I said, we have a client. And I turned the corner and it's this pregnant woman and her two-year-old who are coming in to delete a policy in my office. So I'm like, oh, hey, you know, woo. Hey, how you doing? Um, we run into the office, delete that policy the whole time. Bubba is screaming outside the office on his cell phone. I can hear him yelling. And so I'm like, okay, I've got, well, first thing, I have to get this pregnant woman and this toddler out of the office. So we signed the policy and I'm walking them to the door, right? Holding the baby, walking her all the way to her car because she's got a baby. And that's what I'm doing to get them out of here. So I step to the door. And I look up and there's a police officer there. And for like a second, I'm like, oh, thank God. Like the secretary has called the police on my behalf. Right. That's a natural thought process. Well, yeah. Natural thought then, process. Absolutely. I've just been assaulted by a man who's screaming at me and acting crazy, even if she can't see it. And. um, And then I look up. And he's laughing and smiling, like crazy laughing and smiling, standing beside the officer. So I walk this woman and child to their car. And then another cruiser pulls in. And so I asked, and, and she said, are they here for you, Meg? And I was like, I don't know what's going on. She leaves. I step up and Bubba looks at me smiling and says, You've been fired and the police are here to remove you from the building. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, all right. And so they follow me and I just get my purse and he's steadily running his mouth this time. Um, we'll send your things to you. Ha ha ha. You know, it was, it was really watching a psychopath on a run. And I was scared, crying. And so I get out, but look, from the second I stepped to that door until I stepped in, it was so surreal. It's almost like I'm like, it's an out of body, like I'm watching it from a side view. So I get into my car and that is the last time I was in Lowndes County Farm Bureau. He literally, I was so determined that I was going to see the light at the end of that tunnel that I worked for this psych. I didn't know what a psychopath was. You know, we all will grow up watching movies and I, I just, and after afterwards I was talking to my friend's husband and we talked for hours and hours and he's an MP and dealing with sociopathic psychopathic behaviors, something he did in the military. And he was asking me all these questions. He pepper, he likes to interrogate people and he said, well, I said, how does a person do this? And then he, he runs 
Bubba, after this point, runs and tells this huge, big, I mean, tell a lie and tell it big. He told this huge lie and had the whole office back him. Just sign here style. And I was like, yeah. what is happening? And so my friend's husband, the MP, was like, well, this is psychopathic behavior. He was like, this is what they do to people. And they always win. And I have been in successful, on my end, litigation since. That's four years, six months, and three days over what happened in that office. And he is still at work. So still in the same office, never transferred him like they promised, nothing like that, right? He is sitting there at work today. And that's because he is their boy. It is a good old boy system. It really does exist. I thought it was a figment of someone's imagination. They say that's our friend and he's not going. Um, Lawyers will say, well, they can't cut him loose until the litigation's over, right? No. They, um, it's everything that's come out in discovery and deposition and through this process, it's how, how is he still sitting there? But he is because he can sit back and say, well, this is the secretary and the sales director's fault and I'm a victim. And this, this Meg, this sounds like the worst movie I've I've ever like the most gut wrenching thriller kind of workplace movie that I've ever heard. Um, first of all, thanks for telling this story to to those that may be dealing with this similar type of issue. But second of all, um, wow, you know, where do you go from here? Um, well, Farm Bureau has never ever lost in a courtroom, so that this is I, the court has been very I, okay. When all this happened, I stepped out publicly and I claimed the crusade I was about to go on in Jesus's name. And everything has worked in my favor, just like the Bible said it will. And they said she is crazy. And I thought, isn't that something? The conservative family values company is uh, thinks I'm crazy because I'll call out on Jesus's name. <laughs> but um, it's been a really awful and yet very it's been an incredible experience in some ways. Now that I know what happened, you know, at first I had no idea what was going on. Um, but I think that the reason that I, I really went on here is to let somewhere, someone is at work and work is their hobby. It's what they love to do. They're working and working and tunnel vision and ignoring the red flags. They're more committed to their career more committed to their own personal goals and steadily telling themselves that overlooking the behaviors in the company, the first big red flag, if you're working for a company that does not have a reporting mechanism, get out. If there are big, if the um, promotions are his turn, cronyism, nepotism, get out, just quit, walk away, lose your house, go bankrupt. I don't care what you have to do because the person that I was in 2014, when they recruited me for this job, she just doesn't exist anymore. Like I'm, I'm totally happy in the personal growth and who I am, but 
in no way was any of this worth it. And it only happened like this to me because let's face it, there's about six different scenarios that anyone else would have walked out the door. Um, but there are people like me. I'll just dig my feet in. I'll just dig my feet right in. You're not getting rid of me like this. It's absolutely so, ridiculous. I earlier, earlier, Meg, we talked about we talked about lights at the end of the tunnel earlier, Meg. And so you're you're in the middle of um, the the next chapter of all of this, uh, dealing with the courts and things like that. Um, what's the light at the end of the tunnel for you now? Honestly, we could speak for five hours on what happened to me. What has happened to me since I left Farm Bureau is so much worse than what happened at Farm Bureau. Um, being re-victimized by, they they had to have spent eight figures just to torture me by now. But the light at the end of the tunnel is that this man has been exposed. This company has been exposed to their and that I've been working to expose them and to help other people out. So my light, honestly, the light, at the, I feel like I'm in the light. I feel like now it's the lawsuits and everything that's going on is just going to be a part of what I do from now on. It changed me that drastically. Wow. Um, I got to, you know, well, let's consider I've worked for Super Talk. I've worked for Farm Bureau. I fought in the legal system. I know what's going on in Jackson. I know who's there. I know what they're saying. I know what they do for their friends. I know who their funders are. I mean, I know, I know what's going on from a, a kind of different perspective. And I'm not, I feel like I've already come through the tunnel and that this is just where I'll be from now on. It, and, and I'm happy with that. It, I, you know, I have a sense of purpose. I've helped a lot of other agents i've helped a lot of people you know the life insurance company will run their agents into the ground over selling life insurance hold their whole lives hostage and they're not going to be able to do that anymore and get away with it so it's been a really interesting journey but yeah um crazy people are out there and some of them look normal well, Meg, thank you for coming on the air to tell this story. You're very brave, uh, and I, I hope that you continue this fight to uh, expose the wrongdoings of not just uh, the people that you're up against, but also uh, giving giving uh, hope to other folks that might be dealing with the same thing uh, in their own workplaces, wherever it is. Hopefully, there's somebody out here that listens Here's your story and is able to, uh, to, to get some more energy to fight back. It's worth it. I would definitely yeah. pray about it before you step into it. It's not an easy journey, is it? No. And the way people think that you pray and that God's going to answer, it's the prayer's like this. Hey, God, I'm going at this thing, so you're going to have to meet me out there. And then you just jump. <laughs> That's how it is. Yeah. Hey, God, I'm going to jump off a cliff now. Let's see if you catch me. All right. And he's well, caught me every time. And no, not one lie has prospered against me. It's all out to see. I can't wait for everything, for everyone to see. So exactly if, uh, what happened here. 
if if listeners wanted to keep up with the ongoings and the future of uh, of, of what's happening with you, uh, how how would they be able to do that? Is is there is there a certain newspaper out there that seems to be covering this for you, or uh, you know where have you, where are you getting traction uh, to get the word out? No newspaper and no news source are ever going to print a very negative article on Farm Bureau. They are just too wealthy and powerful. Um, my Facebook page is Farm Bureau Corruption. Um, I've kept it very centralized to Facebook. I've been screaming there for years. And I'm Meg Scarborough Britt on Facebook. I've kept it on Facebook. Facebook has been good to me and allowing me to speak as long as I stay within their community standards. Um, but that, that's where you can find me and okay. follow All along. Right. Meg Scarborough Britt at, uh, on, on Facebook. Got it. And Farm Bureau Corruption is the page. Well, okay. Well, thank you, uh, Meg. We're going to go ahead and uh, end this uh, conversation here. Thank you again for coming on the air and, uh, and have a good day. Absolutely. Anytime. This has been an episode of Work Sucks. Work Sucks is a podcast in the Lamar Communications Group. For questions or a chance to have your story featured on this podcast, email the host at brian.lamar1453 at gmail.com.